Hello, everyone, and welcome to EHS on Tap, the podcast for EHS professionals. I'm Chris Saplinski. Safety culture is a top priority for every safety manager these days, but how to shape a culture is a continual challenge. Most of the time, the focus is on the attitudes of managers and supervisors that work directly with workers and improving employee engagement. But a successful safety culture also requires the most senior leaders of an organization to provide effective safety leadership. What does that leadership look like, and what are the obstacles to achieving success? On today's EHS on Tap, we discuss senior management's role in creating a solid safety culture with Adam Levesque, a safety management consultant at MEMIC, a workers' compensation specialty insurer. You can join Adam at BLR's Safety Culture 2017, being held this September in Austin, Texas, for his presentation, Team-Based Accountability's Connection to Leading Indicators, Using Effective Metrics to Drive Employee Participation and Accident Prevention. Safety Culture 2017 is the nation's most targeted event on safety culture improvement to increase engagement, strengthen compliance, and create more alignment between staff and safety initiatives. To learn more, visit safetyculture.blr.com. And stay tuned after my interview with Adam to learn how EHS on tap listeners can receive a discount when they register. Adam, welcome to EHS on tap. Thanks. I'm, uh, I'm happy to be here. So is it best for senior management to get out of the way and just let EHS department do their job? So that's kind of an interesting question. Um, so there's kind of a two-part here. I think the answer is really no and yes. Okay. Um, so, so let's start with yes. Um, senior management really needs to have trust in their safety managers and safety professionals um, to really assess and recommend controls that will keep employees safe. Um, a lot of the times what really stifles culture development is senior leadership really micromanaging how things need to be done. Um, and you lose a lot of creativity that way. Um, so, you know, if they can kind of back up and allow for the safety professional to analyze risk, uh, look at risk reduction and injury reduction data, um, and really analyze that and show over time as they start to gain support, and we'll talk about that uh, in, in a little bit, but, um, you know, that data over time will speak for the success of the program, um, and we'll show whether or not the business uh, is really working on the right areas of risk exposure. Okay. Um, so when you really look at the, the no aspect of it, um, you know, senior management really needs to be involved. Uh, it's very important for them to participate, and I'm going to say that multiple times, uh, I'm sure, throughout our conversation here, but really engaging in the programs and policies. Uh, any good executive manager or management team, for that matter, uh, who is really looking to create, maintain, uh, or continue to develop uh, a positive safety culture, uh, their active participation is, is really a key part uh, of the recipe to success. So, so what role do they play in creating a positive safety culture? I mean, really, they, they play a big role. Uh, they really set the tone and the, the, the policy and the track for successful development and implementation and overall sustainment of the safety culture. 
Um, you know, there's a model that I use uh, in my explanation of safety management system methodology. Um, and it's actually, if you go uh, on the MEMIC website, I actually include it in my, my biography quote, and, it, and I'll just kind of roll through it. Sure. Senior management is really key to developing and sustaining a, key, uh, a safe and healthy workplace. Okay. Uh, without top management support and their active participation, uh, you can't have a true safety culture because it can't exist. Right. There are really three pieces that I focus on um, when developing safety management systems and really looking to change culture. And I kind of use the, the fire, tri fire triangle uh, example. Uh, there's three pieces, right? So it's a triangle, and in the middle you have culture. So on one side you have risk identification and control. So you really need a way to quantify your organization's risk. Uh, you can do it through risk assessment. You can do it through job hazard analysis. Uh, but you really need a way to quantify your exposure, your likelihood, your severity of potential uh, injury to employees. And then you have to development, develop ways to control that. And then that sets up the second piece of the triangle, which is management support and participation. So as a safety professional, you know our job uh, is to assess and mitigate risk. And without management support and participation, uh, which again I'll say has to be active, they have to be actively involved, um, you know, supporting the programs, giving you the resources, the time, uh, the commitment to do it, um, you're not going to be able to implement controls, right? So they play a big part in that as well. And the most important piece, and I think everybody shares the same challenge, regardless of what industry or location you work at, uh, but it's accountability. Uh, and the three of those play uh, together to, to develop safety culture. You know your, your risks, you know your, your exposures, you're looking to control them, you have management support and participation to do that, and then you have the accountability to hold employees uh, and workers accountable. Uh, and the important piece of a, uh, accountability is that it has to be consistent. Um, you know, if you play favorites or, oh, well, he's a great employee and and, uh, well, they just got hired and you fire one, but you only write out the other for the same type of infraction. It, it, gets, right. it, it dilutes your, your culture. Um, and, and that definitely, you know, affects morale, uh, which, which is a big piece of culture. So with those three pieces, uh, any business can really develop a culture that uh, fosters teamwork, continual improvement, uh, and results in a sustainable model for managing workplace safety. So I'll give you an example of something that, that I've implemented for uh, executive management uh, at one of the previous companies that I had worked for. Um, it was really an executive, uh, we call it a, a safety first tour. Okay. And uh, I was part of the team that kind of managed this, this, this process. So what would happen is on a monthly basis, and we just developed this, there's different examples out there of participation programs that you can develop or use, but we developed this, and an executive manager, so whether it was the president, the director of finance, the, you know, the CFO actually went on a couple of them, the CEO went on a couple of them, what we would do is we'd go down to the manufacturing floor, so mm -hmm. I worked at manufacturing, and we would have a pre-established employee and machine and we basically have an open forum, and we would be looking for some positive communication, some constructive uh, communication, some uh, areas where um, the job may not be as safe as it could be. And it was a 45-minute to one-hour walkthrough with the employee. What do you do? How do you do it? Uh, do you have any challenges? And some of them that would come up would be production-related. 
uh, well, one of the big things is opening that, that line of communication so right. that the uh, positive communication of we care, we actively participate because we're down on the floor with you um, looking at items to work on. Um, and they would do that once a month. And uh, they would follow up with the employee after the first month and look to close out all of those those action items that were identified, whether it was, you know, didn't have the right PPE, there was a part of the machinery that wasn't efficient as, as it needed to be, so the executive management team would get engineering or maintenance or, you know, site leadership, uh, middle management involved to, to, to correct those. So uh, that's a good example of that active participation from executive leadership that, that, I'm, that I try to talk about. Wow, that's great that 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 organization uh, took all those steps. Right. Um, and it takes time to do that, you know. It takes time to do that. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like yeah. Sounds like an investment, but but that in, in the end was probably well worth it. Um, Very so, much. So, how can managers and supervisors work with senior leaders that are geographically and physically removed from the field? So, I mean, this is a tough question. Um, so. You know, some of my experience has been implementing best practices across uh, different facilities of the same company globally. So, you know, reaches as far as China, um, you know, Spain, Uruguay uh, were a couple of the locations that I was part of the team to, to help implement this. And, you know, it's expensive to fly for companies, right? right. So unless, you know, you have budgetary constraints, it's also uh, language barriers and different management teams uh, many companies, it depends how they're structured, um, you know, may have different barriers for that. But the big thing I can, I can really uh, focus on here is communication. Uh, and it's got to be regular. It has to be consistent. Um, and it needs to have, um, you know, some substance um, to continually cultivate support and drive change from senior leadership. So, okay. um, you know, typically when you get into, you know, remote sites, whether they're all domestic or they're a mixture of foreign or domestic, um, you get different executive leaderships and culture differences. Some, you know, uh, may not see safety as a priority or a value. You know, they're hit. you can just get another worker. What, is, what do the injuries right. uh, mean? I don't care. I can get somebody else. Mm. Um, but being able to um, influence those types of manners and bring them to the importance of not just the importance of the people piece, but identifying them with the production piece, the business piece, right? It's, it's very important to keep people working. This is why. This is the financial benefit for the company, and it's a benefit for the employees as well. So some of those cultural pieces can be difficult, um, but one of the big things I focus on is communication. Our executive uh, and senior leaders uh, that are, you know, scattered across, whether it's the globe or domestically, are they aware of the performance? You know, I've used and I've seen used um, by some of uh, the folks that I've worked with benchmarking comparison. You know, a couple of ones that I use currently are, you know, your total incident rate, you know, which compares you to, you know, your industry, right? And experience mod from a worker's compensation, right? You know, your, your payroll versus, you know, your injuries um, are two good ways of looking at, you know, how you compare in the industry. And most of the executive leaders, um, they're not looking at that on it. They know what it is, but they're not looking at it. Um, right. So being able to communicate things like that uh, from as far as performance is good, um, and they're not aware of the impact that follows only focusing on lagging indicators. So the two things I just said are benchmarking comparisons are lagging indicators. 
Um, so as a safety leader, right, uh, in an organization, whether that's your main job or a portion of your job, uh, because it is a shared duty in many, in, uh, in many businesses, uh, you have to demonstrate the value of proactive management, um, safety management, to gain and maintain that support. And, it, and it, often it comes prior to gaining any support. Um, so one of the things that, that we try to do, uh, you know, working with Nemec when we go into our uh, accounts is develop and adopt uh, key reporting indicators. So looking at those loss leaders, what are your frequency bases, what are your severity bases, and identifying some, some ways to prioritize those. Uh, and what happens is that's a little reactive, but you start to develop what we call key performance indicators. Um, on okay, what are you going? What are you going to do to prevent future injuries? Whether it's near misreporting, whether it's looking at your. Uh, when I was talking about the, the safety management triangle, the risk identification, right? You know, you start quantifying risk. You can really prioritize it. And I mean, there are different ways to do it. Uh, you have simple adding of you know exposure, likelihood, severity. And you come up with a risk number. You have multipliers. You have magnitudes. It doesn't matter how you do it. What you really want to do is quantify it so you can prioritize it. Right. So really being able to take those numbers and integrating those into your communication with senior leaders to say, this is why we need to do it. We have a low exposure, very high likelihood, very high hazard you know, uh, type exposure. We need to correct this as a priority for us, or vice versa. I mean, there's different combinations. So that's really um, a way to work with them in, in using your data. Because a lot of you know, senior managers, what are they using to drive the business? Information, right? So being able to communicate uh, business need um, from a safety perspective is a, is a very good strategy to use when communicating with senior leadership, especially uh, when you're looking at, uh, you know, geographically and remote locations. So in progress, communication on progress too, right? You know, if you're not meeting a certain goal or objective, why, right? Are you not getting support? You know, they, and the thing is you want to be communicating the facts. If you're not getting support, you need to communicate that you're not getting support. You know, it's not a, well, you know, this, that, and the other thing. It's, listen, you know, I asked for whatever the budget was, and you guys didn't give me the budget. How am I supposed to reduce it, you know, reduce this risk by, without the, without the support? So right. it's uh, the communication and, and, and being honest with each other is a, is a big piece. So um, and it's, sometimes it's much easier said than done. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, you know, the the concepts of you know communication and you know quantifying and passing along information to senior management goes towards the the next question I had for you. Um, so I didn't know what beyond those things you might be able to share in terms of how a shared vision of the desired safety culture can be achieved. So I mean, assuming your organization has a shared um, vision, develop and publish. So when I when I think you know, think of shared vision, your safety policy, right? You know, we're going to, you know, develop workplace, you know, activities and, and programs and policies to keep employees safe or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really when you look at the definition of shared vision, it's, you know, looking at a end goal and everybody's working towards that end goal. Okay. Um, and sometimes senior management, is it's very easy for them to put together a policy and just communicate it and then kind of step away and now it's the safety person's responsibility. Well, in a sense that's true because they have their own activities that they're doing and as a safety professional that's your job to facilitate that. But 
Um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, I learned actually from a, uh, a manager uh, of, uh, actually a director of operations was uh, this, this process of strategy deployment. Um, and it's, I mean, it's nothing new, but it was the first time I was introduced to it, and it really worked in a couple of organizations that I worked for. And really the process is continual improvement, right? I mean, it's a big, big uh, thing that's talked about in business now. Uh, or has been for years, Kaizen, you know, continual improvement, 5S, things, things of that nature. But you can use it in safety management as well. Um, so one of the first things you want to do, elevate, uh, evaluate your current reality, right? How are you performing? You know, where are you doing well and where are you not? Okay. Identifying those areas uh, to improve performance. Uh, it could be, you know, something as, you, you know, you're diving as deep as strains and sprains, hand injuries, lifting, office ergonomics, you know, motor vehicle exposure, there's, there's many things, many exposures depending on the types of injuries, falls, confined space, I mean, there's, there's lots of things. And what you want to do is you want to look at those areas where you're lacking and develop what we call an action plan, which is basically a strategy on uh, what types of activities are you going to do, are you going to commit to, to prevent injuries, to prevent exposure, to reduce exposure and occurrence for injuries. Uh, and things that we focused on, or I focused on, and we do when we meet with our clients at, at Nemec, is focusing on actions that are sustainable, right? You know, a lot of the times you hear the word training get thrown around. Um, you know, I don't like to do training unless I'm implementing a new um, program, right? This is the new program. This is how it's going to be facilitated. These are your responsibilities. These are the the behaviors uh, and uh, Actions that you know we are going to deem acceptable when you talk about confined space or fall protection, um, but you know training is not sustainable because you know when you look at learning, you know adult learning theory, you know you lose about eighty percent of what you learn in a in a one hour class the second you walk out the door. Wow. So you know when you train, you can't use that as kind of the, the crutch. You know, and, and a lot of people do because that's the easy easy thing to go to. Um, and we're all guilty of it, you know, myself, myself included. But um, those actions that are sustainable, you know, that action plan should focus on whether it's program imp implementation, engineering implementation. You know, I'll give you an example. You have lifts uh, that employees are doing multiple times a day. You evaluated it. You know that, okay, this is a, a lift that, that change is required. Uh, training people how to lift properly, it's only going to get you so far. And, um, you know, I know that, uh, you know, NIOSH has, has also um, published some literature to say that as well. Um, but you need some mechanical advantage, whether it's uh, a lifting device, whether it's a, a adjustable table, whether it's a crane, a hoist. I mean, uh, you really need to start to engineer. So that would be part of your action plan. You have identified a lift that mm -hmm. needs to be used for, uh, that needs, you know, engineering controls, uh, to remove the exposure, and that should be part of your action plan. So, you know, I've had as many as 50 different actions on an action plan, um, and, uh, you know, that's uh, a mature, formal, developed uh, strategy deployment plan, but when I started, it was four. You know, we, we had very limited, right, very focused, and that's what's going to happen when you're trying to pick this, you know, the we call it the lower-hanging fruit, right, the, the things that you know that are easy, require very little uh, justification and they're no-brainers. Uh, so it gets more difficult as you get more into it. But, 
you know, to kind of get back to what you can do to kind of uh, get to that shared vision of safety culture, right, develop that action plan, communicate the action plan and targets to senior leadership. They need to know what you're going to do and what they're going to get out of that. So if you're asking for $100,000 to implement a lift, mm-hmm. well, what are they going to get out of it? Right. And that's where your risk assessment piece can kind of come in. Well, you know, this is what the risk is right now. We can reduce the risk of the job by 2%. Um, you know, by removing this lift, this is that most hazardous lift in the plant right now, you know, and, and you can kind of give them those touch points so that they're going, okay, they've done their homework, they understand, you know, the risk associated with the plant or the, the environment that they're working in, whether it's a construction site, whether it's a manufacturing site, whether it's an office environment. Uh, it really shows that you really have your, your, uh, your plan together. So once you communicate that to senior leadership, you know, you're going to either get the the okay or the we're not going to do that. Mm. So really at that point you've done your due diligence, you've gotten some support for something, maybe you got two of the four items you're looking at, well you should take that as a win. And and it's it's sometimes it's hard uh, as a professional, you know, we know we need to address all four of these things, why can't we do all four? Um, but you're going to take this, the other two as a win and you've gotten your support and you're going to go start to work on them. So you want to communicate the accepted objectives to all levels of your organization, uh, from the floor employees, middle management, office, you know, whoever. Everybody should know uh, what your safety objectives and targets are going to be. Um, so progress, you want to communicate that at regular intervals. Really the best practice is quarterly. Um, some of the things I've done before uh, with uh, other businesses and some of my uh, things that I've learned from my colleagues uh, working at MEMIC is, is, you know, whether it's uh, the quarterly business report, whether it's in, uh, uh, you know, a monthly newsletter, you, you want to be communicating uh, your progress so that people are aware of it. Um, you know, if you go down on the manufacturing floor or in the office and say, hey, how many entries have we had this month? And people are going... I don't know what you're talking about. You know, right. it's a problem, right? So that means you got some improvements to make. Uh, and then you always want to annually report out, right? You have these objectives, right? You have these targets. So you have this objective of reducing OSHA recordable severity injuries by 20%, right? You have activities. Could be four or five activities that you're going to do, whether it's, in, you know, implementing a toolbox talk program. Um, maybe most of your hand injuries, I mean, most of your recordable injuries were hand injuries. You're going to be looking at a glove-type program, implementing PP after you've looked at some of the engineering solutions. Can we remove employees' hands from the process? You know, so you might have different activities, but you want to communicate. What did you do? What worked? What didn't? And what was the overall uh, report out from those activities? Wow. So um, it, it gets people talking, and, and it shows that commitment. So that's that's... I mean, really how you can kind of get to that uh, shared vision, you know, really getting to that safety color, uh, safety culture achievement. Wow. That's, that's terrific information and uh, uh, great examples you provided for us. Um, did you have any other uh, parting advice for EHS professionals as they work with senior management to create a successful safety culture? Um, I, I think the most, uh, the biggest takeaway I have taken uh, from some of the, the good and not so good organizations uh, that I have uh, been a part of um, is take initiative. You know, one of the things is, is that I tell folks when they, they say, I want to implement a safety management system. Um, you know, whether you have a corporate direction or free reign at the site, right, the same principle is going to apply. Do you think it's better to have a communicated commitment, right, with no action, 
or uh, informal communicated commitment or no communicated uh, commitment to the, the safety program with lots of action. So mm. it's really the latter, right? right? So as a safety professional, you can make movements and change and influence behavior of employees uh, to a point, you know, even without senior management um, buy-in and total support. Right. And over time, as you show progress, listen, we focus on leading indicators. We're doing near miss reporting. We're doing, you know, proactive safety management. We're getting in. We're doing safety inspections with the safety committees. We've gotten folks first aid trained. We now we've implemented this program and that program, and we've reduced injuries by twenty percent. You know, just think of what we can do with an actual budget, right? And you've got to do your homework ahead of time. It's not easy. Um, it takes time, uh, but sometimes you know you're going to have to start influence, influencing uh, the lower levels and the mid management level uh, prior to getting full executive support. Got it. If you're working there as a safety professional, you already have some level of support, um, but sometimes you need to show that added value prior to getting the support that you know every so safety program you know deserves the budget. Uh, you know, the, the accountability, consistency, and, uh, you know, getting rid of that hierarchical middle management employee type relationship. So, um, you know, I, my, my real advice would be, uh, you know, just take initiative. Um, and unless you have an executive leadership team that already gets it, you know, uh, you're going to be driven by compliance and reactive actions, uh, which, you know, can be frustrating and challenging, but, you know, if you start to implement some of those proactive things, you know, I'd say one of the first things would be a, a toolbox talk type uh, program mm -hmm. and a near-miss program, encouraging employees to get involved by reporting things and focusing on whether or not, um, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, you're getting stuff done that way, right, and whether or not they're getting involved. So. Wow. Thank you for, for joining us and providing us with all these uh, all these helpful tips. You're welcome. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. Adam will be presenting a complimentary webinar on April 27th titled Procurement, EHS, and Safety, Essential Cross-Functional Alignment for Continued Success. For more information about this free webinar from BLR's EHS Daily Advisor, visit ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com slash webcasts. Again, that's ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com slash webcasts to learn more about Adam's April 27th complimentary webinar. And meanwhile, as promised, here's how EHS on Tap listeners can receive a discount when you register for our live event, Safety Culture 2017 in Austin this September. Go to safetyculture.blr.com, click on the register button, and during the registration process, enter the code EHSTAP in all capital letters. EHSTAP in all caps in the discount code box for $100 off your registration for the event. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Until next time, for EHS on Tap. I'm Chris Soplensky.